Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. Stoked to be here on the best Tuesday you've had all week. And I know you're excited for the True Wealth Radio Show. Matt, you ready to rock? I am ready to kill it today. Let's do this. Excellent. So, step one in today's discussion, where I catch Matt on his heels. Yep. Did you watch the VIX at all? No. Of course not. And why would you? Uh, the VIX today popped by three and a quarter percent, and the first time in eight consecutive days, the S and P, Nasdaq, and the Dow thirty, all negative. Ouch. Ouch. And a lot of it in big tech, and it was really interesting to watch because this was sort of a risk-off day. Didn't the financial sector have a hard day today, too? Financials had a hard day, uh, and so that certainly played into it. And the financials have had an interesting day for a while. But here's some fun ones just to look at what are uh, big movers today. Uh, How about GameStop? It was down over 5%. Tesla, the darling, down 12%. 3D Systems down 14%. Woo. Uh, Ouch. Uh, AMC, another meme stock, down 11% today. So this now these were the stocks that had really rocketed higher earlier in the year when everybody was taking a lot of risk. And now we've had today a risk-off event. And so maybe you've heard people talk in the financial porno- media about risk on and risk off. So today was a risked off day, right? Yeah, it was, and, it was rough. And what's the VIX telling us, right? Remember, the VIX is the volatility index, and it says that the price of options increased. Why? And what does that mean? Well, volatility has been really low for a while now. So, right? Right? I mean, it doesn't surprise me that volatility might be picking up. Sure. I mean, well, if, if if you're worried that the price of something is likely to drop, does it cost more to insure that position against a loss or less? Costs more. Absolutely. And so yeah. the VIX is a is indication of options pricing. If options are getting more expensive, it's because the one of the components of option pricing is implied volatility. Right. Right. So you've got things like the t- time decay, right? Because an option's only good for a certain amount of time. Yeah. They expire, right? And you're gonna if you're wondering like options. What are we? What? I have to tell you guys. Did you know uh, that Elon Musk published a poll on his Twitter? I feed? knew you were gonna work that in here. Did, somehow, did he hear David. about it? Yeah, I heard a little bit. Right. So what did he? And and he said, "Hey, I want to take a poll. Should I? Should I sell? S- sell some stock in order to? And he's like, I'll sell ten percent of my holdings in order to." you know, pay some taxes. Should I do this? Because it, it was bringing up the billionaire tax. And his point is, look, uh, I own all stock. So the only way that I end up paying in the tax system is if I sell something. And if I have a gain, then I have to pay on the gains because there's not income. But didn't he have some options that were going to expire? Oh, sneaky Matt. Yes, he did. Huh. Right. So, well, or at least he does. There's been discussion about this is the part that people don't understand is that part of Elon Musk's incentive package with Tesla was that if they hit certain metrics, which they did, they did, then he would be awarded additional stock. How did they give him the additional stock? As stock options, 
which means he must exercise those options in order to get the stock. And oh. there are income tax ramifications. Yeah, I was going to say there's this. tax ramifications to, right. to that. So, so how is he going to pay that and tax? And so that's the part that is kind of I'm like, is Elon just playing the whole world? Because oh, a course. bunch of people are out there saying. Yeah, man, you should. It's like last I looked, it was about a 60 40 split. 60% of people said, yes, you should sell stock. And I was like, oh, you clever dude, you. Because you're going to have to sell the stock anyway. Right. You, you got to pay the tax on auction and sell something in order to pay the tax on it. So I don't know that it's really a genuine question or if it's just more really genius PR by the guy. And I'm going to call it genius. You well, can call it dirty. You can call least, it lots of things. But at least our listeners are getting educated to this and right? knowing like, oh, yeah, he sold, but I'm not surprised. Exactly. So it's like, oh, looky there. Uh, you know, you look under the hood a little bit and you realize, okay, we say this about all kinds of things, whether it be politics or it be CEOs or anything else. And it's a really simple one. Three words, follow the money. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, let's face it, that makes stuff happen all over the place. And today, very interesting to see the markets uh, dip a little bit. Not surprising. Right. Why is it not surprising? We haven't seen it very much. And yeah, so like it's bound to happen at some point. Right. Because right? like, how many times can you flip heads in a row? Yeah. Right. And the answer is a, a, a bunch could happen. But after eight straight days of all time high gains kind of scenarios. Right. You know. Roughly all-time highs. It's up, not up for surprising to row. see a little bit of a pullback. Come on, there's some yeah. profit taking. Come on, that would be what we like to call normal. Yeah, but it doesn't feel normal right now, does it? Well, if you adjust We're just to so... really low, it's you know, it's like you get used to the water temperature, and then any change feels like a shock. Yeah, right. In this case, the the volatility is so low that anytime we see it, it's like, oh my gosh. Uh, it's actually the markets weren't off much. S and P's down 0.3. That's not yeah. throwing anybody. Nobody's freaking out today. No. It's just that when you see are you Tesla still going to be able to sleep? 12, you're like, oh, well, that's real deal. Are you going to be able to sleep tonight? Oh, I sleep pretty okay. pretty okay most nights. Okay. Right. David's and, not freaking out. Yeah. After you've been doing, doing this doing almost this a 22 long years. Time. Yeah. That's the thing. Is, At what point do you start to lose sleep? Like, what number is it? So it's more of a change in condition. Ah, so it's not right? necessarily a number. And it's still not lose sleep, but it's it's change tactic. Okay. Right? Uh, what, are we, what are some of the things that our office is watching? Like our investment committee, what are some of the things that we're watching? We discussed this morning. Uh, here's a really big deal one to me. Change of the Federal Reserve. Okay. Right? Because do you remember the discussion? Well, right. I remember we were talking about the Russell 2000, and we were noting some d changes in the small growth index. Well, and we talked about the spread between the S&P 500 yeah, and the Russell we 2000, did. right? So that's one of the issues is what's the difference between how much the Russell 2000 has been moving versus the S&P 500? Mm -hmm. Russell 2000 is the small and mid caps more so, yeah. where the S&P 500 is the, Low, the large, large caps. caps. Yeah. So what's the difference there? And we noted that the small and mid caps are more indicative of a broader market move mm -hmm. rather than just the risk-off assets, which tend to be the larger, safer blue-chip companies that live right. in that S&P 500 land. So that's part of it. But then the other is that there is a chance, and right now the political indications are that Jerome Powell may not remain as the Federal Reserve chief. 
right? Yeah, and I didn't catch all so that the during the meeting. Let's recap that. So, and, and uh, it was, uh, oh, no, I'm going to space on her name. Uh, but anyway, there's, there's a good possibility that uh, Jerome Powell is not going to have his uh, le- his leadership or chairman's role renewed. And so oh. if they put in place uh, this, this I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, after the break, the break you know right? we're coming back to so, this. So I'll, I'll get it here. Uh, but she's a she's a current Fed governor, and I'll admit I don't know all of them off the top of my head. Jerome Powell, we talk about all the time. But anyway, the issue is that uh, the this this gal that's being considered is a lot more dovish in general. If you look at the Fed meeting notes, and define and so that forth. for the listeners, dovish. Okay, so you know how the stock market talks about bulls and bears. Yeah. Okay. So first, what's a bull? Bull, we have a feeling that the market's going up. Market's going up. And, and why do we call it a bull? Because bulls start, they attack by lowering their head and then flipping up. If they go after a matador, their head is down and they come in attack low and then they lift up. Oh, and okay. And why are bear markets declining markets? Because bears they attack stand you. up, right? They stand up with their hands in the ah. air and they, they lurch down. Is this and actually yes. how. How they got bulls and bears. Oh, okay. You know, I learned something today. I've known the terms for a long time, but I never knew why. why. If that's not how, it's how I've always remembered it. Somebody explained it to me that way. So, so we've now just continued to pass on the wives' tale one way or the other. Now you'll never forget it. Right? You're never going to get it twisted. Okay. Now this one's harder. Okay. Okay. But my sense is that uh, it's it's probably we could conjure up an analogy, but hawkish versus dovish. Now, this is a monetary supply position. So we usually think of the Federal Reserve governors and say, well, how likely are they to make it easy to put money in the system versus hard to put money in the system? Like hawking is hard, so, no, dovish is hawk, easy? Hawkish is the idea that they would like interest rates to typically be higher to control inflation. Dovish, they typically want interest rates lower to make it easier to access And our money. interest rates have been really low for a long time. Yeah, we've time. been in a very dovish position for a long time. And you're time. saying this new person wants to remain dovish? Wants to re- Well, if they are dovish, they want to maintain an easy and free monetary supply. And right now that means, if we've talked about the, what quantitative easing is on the program, right? Yeah. Okay, so that just means that the Federal Reserve is actually buying the treasuries that the Treasury Department brings to the auction marketplace. Sure. So, Because that's that's kind of the way the, the money process works. Hey, the government needs money to operate, so they have tax revenue, but they also borrow. How do they borrow? They issue treasuries, right? Then they can be notes, or they can issue longer-term bonds, but most of the time, 10-year notes or shorter durations. They have uh, other treasury instruments that are shorter. But in this case, if we're talking about the 10-year bond, then... The Federal Reserve, in many cases, is the purchaser. So how do they do it? Well, that's where the money printing is occurring, is, oh, we will provide the government with the money for those bonds, and we'll put the bonds on our balance sheet as a Federal Reserve. That seems like a nasty cycle to just keep well, repeating. It, right, because what we saw is the Federal Reserve, has their balance sheet looks radically different over the last 15 years. Since 2008... I want to say that their their balance sheet's gone from somewhere below uh, 
a billion or a, below a trillion. It was like eight hundred billion. It was below a trillion. It was below a trillion, and now it's almost five trillion. Oh man! In the last fifteen years, so radical. That's astronomical. Yeah. Now, what does this what does this mean to the whole system? We don't really know, right? But it's an we, experiment. It is, and this is the modern monetary theory that's looping around out there. So first of all, there's the question some people ask is, does it ever need to be paid back? That's right? a really good question. Does it actually need to be paid back? Yeah. And, and so I want you to think about that question because I want to address it, but I'm going to take one of those evil profit breaks first. So we do that and when we come back, we'll ask, oh my gosh, we've taken out all of this government debt. Now what? All right, stick around and we'll cover that when we get back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. And it's Brainerd, right? And I think it's. Uh, Lael is how you say it, I believe. But Brainerd is the uh, the current Fed governor that's potentially being interviewed right now as a the next Fed chair, and she is the one that would be uh, uh, the the dovish uh, personality type to to add to the mix, if you will. And now, and you if know. you're like going, "What are they talking about?" You just go grab our podcast tomorrow and you'll get caught up, right? So that's at littlejohnfs.com. Look under the What Are We About tab, and you're going to see all kinds of things. What are we about, David? Education, sound ah. planning, and investing. I like it. All right. And that is like this new – it's not a new mission, but uh, if you listen to this program a lot, you know I'm big on kind of breaking it down and explaining what's going on as best we can. And let's skip – the jargon. I'm not going to skip the vocabulary. Let's skip the jargon, right? All right. Uh, because it gets it's obnoxious to me that the financial industry will just surround you with big intimidating words and then charge more for it. That's that's their motto though. Like that's just <laughs> the government like, in general. Well, like, that's that's lots let's, of industries, Let's confuse right? people and then ba make them pay yeah, more for let it. Let me terrify you and insist that you need a professional to decipher this so that you will pay for it. Right. And I will say this all day long. I'll say this to the people that choose us as their advi advisor and investment manager is we are not smarter than our clients. We've got smart clients, right? Oh, we do. And so that. it's not about IQ. It's about the frequency of exposure. Right. We Absolutely. see it all the time. And so, you know, to the person that's trying to navigate, you know, applying for Social Security, you do it the time you do it. We do it lots of times with people where we're helping them make optimization decisions about when to take it or not relative to their other financial circumstances and their tax realities and so forth. So that's something that we tackle much more frequently. Doesn't mean you couldn't do it. You couldn't do the homework and figure it out. It just means we've already done it. Do you want to reinvent the wheel or not? How many hours a day do you want to invest to get there, too? Right, but like, but it's not a brains issue. No. It is a familiarity issue, and that should – and so familiarity breeds confidence and competence, right? So that's what happens. And anyway, that's that's a lot of what we do. But our clients are sharp, mm -hmm. but, but we talk about this all the time. Hey, we're, we're part of what we do is we translate the language into something that makes more sense. 
So yeah. at the break, we were talking about you know hawkish and dovish, and then this question of do we even need? So remember, the, the the United States has we got a lot of debt as a country, right? Oh yeah. Lots of other countries have lots of debt. That's there's nothing remarkable that the United States is. Here's the concern that people have. And I'm not about to tell you that this is an invalid concern. So don't think it's that kind of show. But the concern people have is, oh, my gosh, we have so much debt. We'll never pay it off. We're going to go bankrupt. Right. And that's a harder case to make for a number of reasons. Okay, we have lots of debt and we the also Federal have Reserve, the printing press. Yeah, well, the Federal Reserve has been, yeah, but, the, but that's the danger, right? Everybody's this, and, and this is, we could oversimplify it and say, you know what? We, you know, the printing press is just going to cause inflation. It's going to devalue everything. And, you know, it's all going to tank and it's a house of cards. And what I would say is that you are not intrinsically wrong in that. But the question is, what is the breeze that blows over a house of cards? Right. And and here's the other thing. If everybody it's, it's this is the emperor has no clothes argument. Right. Oh, but if okay. everybody pretends it's that way, it is that way until they stop pretending. OK, I can roll with that. OK, so let's keep this in mind that printing money in and of itself isn't a great solution because it is inflationary in nature. We are putting more money into the system. But here's the dirty little secret. People, the government wants some inflation. There, because deflation, which is the opposite of inflation, mm -hmm. right, is really painful. Because you can get into a really dangerous cycle with banking. Sure. Okay? Because if assets start to decline in value, and those assets are collateral for banks, then the banks may not have enough money in the fractional reserve department to honor all of their obligations. And then customers come wanting money out of the bank. If they don't have it, there's a confidence crisis in the banks, right? People make runs on the banks, try to pull all the money out, and then the banks are trying to force collateral calls they force liquidate at inopportune pricing, and you create this sort of feeding frenzy in right. the wrong direction. You're just creating a bigger problem. Well, it's what fueled the Great Depression. Yeah. Right? So a little bit of inflation. And why do we not want runaway inflation? I well, kinda, the opposite problem, right? It's like You're, an analogy of, like, how many times can you patch a tire before it blows up? Like, you know what I mean? That's how I look at it. It's like, inflation, print more money, patch that tire. Oh, we got another flat. Patch that tire how well, many times can you patch the tire i guess if the tire always has a slow leak and you don't patch it it's more like just putting more air in Ooh, i don't know so here's here's the thing okay if we assume an amount of inflation this is also part of why it's important that the economy continues to grow right right you keep growing production there's this this intense desire for growth and there's population issues at play, right? Like we know the baby boomer population is really huge. Mm -hmm. And we anticipate that as the baby boom population begins to phase out, a fancy way of saying die, right? Not that anybody wants to hear that, but as baby boomers die off, the generations behind them aren't necessarily as big. We have a real problem with our entitlement programs, for example. Right. Social Security right now, there's not as enough people paying into it to keep it 
fully solvent, mm-hmm. right? Because it's kind of operates like a, a revolving door. It's it's sort of a Ponzi esque event here, where the the people currently paying in their money goes into the government, and the government turns right back around and writes checks to recipients out the other side of the door. Right. So if that's always what's going on, there is no savings account. You never contributed to a savings account for a lifetime. You contributed to the idea of a savings account that was supposed to represent your benefit, but it didn't exist. It was just, well, the people there today are going to pay for the obligation that they've assigned me through my lifetime of service and payment into Social Security. You still with me, Matt? Yeah, and yeah. So, so it's really no, a population problem. Right. It's, so it's we a have a population issue. You have a yeah. big generation that's in receipt and a small generation in payment. You've got a gap. So what do you do? You can try to squeeze more out of the small generation, but that is hard to sustain because of the economic impact. If you drain all the free cash flow from that population base, then they create a different hardship because the economy contracts because they don't have the free cash to spend in the economy. So now you're getting into some of the modern, modern monetary thinking is, well, we need to kind of sort of smooth out some of the dips in the population. We need to smooth out some of the economic dips that have occurred because of a pandemic. And so we financially attempt to engineer. Is it a super dangerous game? You bet. Right? There's no guarantee that this works at all. But what we do know is the G20, like the largest 20 economies in the world, we're all colluding to get it done. So what else do people talk about that could be a significant problem right yeah well one of them is what if the united states stops being the world's reserve currency okay because if you're the one printing the the money but everybody is counting on your money yeah it's like well yeah you're printing it we're all printing a little bit but we can't really cry foul because nobody else has enough money in the financial system that if we stopped relying on your banking system we, it wouldn't work effectively right so uh, if we talk uh, about the depth of capital markets right there it's the ability for those capital markets to absorb all the activities the various players like think about a small community bank if you if you go to your local community bank that's or a local credit union and you say hey credit union we'd like to finance a billion dollar infrastructure project for a multi-state freeway and you know what they're going to tell you ha that sounds like a great idea there's no way we can do it our membership in total doesn't have that much money to lend out mm-hmm. projects too big All right won't work okay so now think about some of this the smaller countries that don't have enough gdp on their own I mean, we have like like you know elon musk has a higher net worth than some entire countries isn't that just mind-boggling? Well, it is, and it, it makes people mad, but we can we can play that game later. Just the total money that's in circulation there. It's the total What about, value. like, I'm curious, euro versus the U.S. dollar oh, euro's circulation? Oh, euro's very big. Um, now, not, circulation is, is it's not as big as the, the, the financial markets of the U.S. dollar. Cause is remember, it close? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know the numbers, but the United States is far and away the most liquid market. Okay. The euro is, is pretty good. I could tell you right now that China is, they would like to knock off the U.S. as that position. With the global currency that you're talking right, about? Right, uh, yeah. creating some kind of global currency. That I mean, that's because that puts you in the economic driver's seat. Sure. Okay? And I will continue to say that 
China, as best I can tell, it's not in China's best interest to destroy the United States. There are people mm -hmm. that say, like, oh, they, they want to kill everybody. I'm like, I, no. We're the one buying the products that they make. Like, it's, they it's, can't. It's, it's not that. What China would like is to be in the driver's seat of decision-making, right? There's a lot of people that will say, sure, the United States, in their own vision, has been somewhat altruistic in certain areas and in other areas they've really failed everybody's going to always think that way because you know there's their counterparties that if it's it's not in their interest right think about countries with dictators that get overthrown and you install a democracy most of the people are pretty stoked for that except for the dictator mm -hmm. right so you'll always have a few people that are pissed <laughs> that, yeah that's not going away but the the idea here is china would just assume be the one that gets to really make more of the rules sure right and and the one that has the deepest financial pockets gets placed in charge of more of that if you will the united states has done it somewhat because of military strength sorry, military military strength was wrong syllable emphasis but you get the idea the the military helped Okay, I don't. How do we get in the weeds this far? By the I, way, on investment, work? I don't know. And you know, someone by the way is listening in China. Like, well, sure, they're like, oh, but that, but it's that darn David guy over there. He's he's exposing the truth. Well, I don't fault them for wanting that position. Yeah. Right. Wanting to be in the driver's seat is pretty I mean, normal. Everyone wants to be in yeah. the driver's seat. Well, the question is just, can you do it without violating human rights? And, yeah, that's and that's that's one of those. This is not something where you say, "Well, how do you define human rights?" No, I'm saying basic Judeo-Christian moral value set, where it's like, "Well, you don't get to kill other people because they inconvenience you." Mm -hmm. Like that's just a really basic premise. And if we can't get over that, we, we're gonna like you and I aren't gonna get along, right? We're gonna disagree on stuff because you're like, "Well, if I disagree with them, why don't I just eliminate them, and then I don't have to disagree with them anymore?" And I go. So there's not a lot of compromise in that thinking, <laughs> and uh, let's let's hope we don't, we don't get to that one. But anyway, we so, did get into the weeds a little bit. I though. know that that's kind of an end around on the longer term game of why China wants to be the world's reserve currency. Is it's not to destroy the United States. It's because they would like the United States to abide by their rules mm -hmm. rather than the United States being the tip of the spear for setting the rules. Yeah. Okay. And. So I don't I I just think it's a, again go back to the original three word phrase follow the money right that's that is what drives all of this stuff. yeah so anyway okay. how are we going to apply it to you as an investor yes you can hear the music we were we're going to talk about that try to make it relevant especially with the end of the year we're going to talk Santa Claus and some other fun stuff we've got to Ooh. take this break first we'll be right back this is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon we got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN hey gang welcome back to the True Wealth Show where we are covering a bunch of stuff in the weeds. If you care, then you can check the podcast out, right? It'll be at littlejohnfs.com. But, but put on your safety glasses. Yeah. Buy, well, fire up that weed whacker. Like, be yeah, prepared. that one. I mean, it's the, I'd say the first segment was a little bit more digestible. Where were we in the first section? Well, we were kind of talking about what might make us worry about where the market's going. You know, we had this low volatility and the markets have been climbing higher. Mm -hmm. And you said, what would make me not sleep at night? 
Yeah. Right. That was kind of your question. Yeah. Said, well, I think if I saw some kind of change in the whole scenario, I, I will call it like a regime change of the way the market's behaving, that would concern me. And so uh, what's an example of that? Well, COVID was an example. Back mm -hmm. in early 2020, when it hit, it at first it was, well, we're going to shut the economy down for a minute. And that was a huge impact on stocks and they dropped real suddenly and our firm did sort of spring into action and, and make some adjustments to strategy. And it, I wasn't with you during that time. You were not. So walk me back for a moment. What was it like at what point were you like hitting the panic button? Do you remember like a so turning it was never point? A panic button, but I can tell you what happened is we use a few tools and some of them are macroeconomic we'll call them algorithms, right? So sure. we, we developed a, an artificial intelligence system and it, it uses three different key indicators. One of them is very simple, right? And I don't mind telling everybody on air what it is, right? We look at the, the two month and 10 month moving average of the price of the S&P 500. And there's a specific time sequence for it. It's not a moving average. It's just we so we don't like take every day adjust it. Once a month, we look at it and say, is the two month price average for the last two months higher than the last ten months? But it's just not you that's looking at it. This is a computer system. So that's computer been system built. does this one. But so yeah. what we do is we also calculate how far must the market fall in the next month before it would trigger a crossover point. Mm. And so we can then project out what level of downside before this signal might change. Okay, and so that gives us an idea of the downside risk uh, still available in that particular macro system. Okay, and then we have a couple others. One of them is a credit spread indicator. It's a more sophisticated than that, but what we're looking at is the good good credit ratings versus bad credit ratings, and we're looking at any time that those diverge. Because when they diverge, it's a sign that the credit markets are unhealthy, default rates or risk in the market looks higher. So we're concerned a great deal about how the market is viewing risk, and we're looking at the cost of capital side of the equation, okay. not the stock side. right? And then the third one is a composite of a bunch of data points that the Federal Reserve and other economists are using for projection. We built sort of a, a learning network around that, that that biases and weights different amounts of these signals and creates a sort of a yes or no, does the market look healthy or not? What we knew was that the markets in COVID were falling so fast that it was going to trip our macro indicator. We knew by the math. So that you it was were able happen. to get in front of it. And we front like, ran our own signal oh, because okay. we know how it's calculated. And so we said, what do we do? And and what in that case it was, we needed to raise about a thirty five percent cash block if for a lot of our investors. Not everybody is the same, so right. you know, just keep that in mind. But the idea was raise cash by reducing the total exposure to the marketplace. And then as the prices fall, you can buy back in at a lower point. So it's a, it's not necessarily tax efficient, but it's very, it's more risk efficient. That's a hard one though, jump, knowing when to jump back in. So, and, and the market recovered really suddenly. It and so did. what ended up happening is it, it recovered so rapidly, we didn't get back into the same stocks that we got out of. What we did was we got into stocks that were beat up even more, but those stocks ended up running faster later. Interesting. And so it really enhanced the value, especially over the next 18 months, because it did reduce risk. And then because we were able to be selective about what was beaten up badly, and then as the COVID landscape became more, became more clear, we could alter our behavior okay right? so so yeah, we, that makes sense so, so here's an example after the fact not investment advice right 
we picked up Boeing for a bunch of our investors below $100 a share. And in the next year, it, it recovered by 100%. It went back up over $200 a share. Mm-hmm. We no longer own that for most of our investors. right? I'm okay. not going to say nobody owns it, but a lot of people don't any longer because we now see Boeing as having taken on tons of debt. Oh, and yeah. We also see it as the travel landscape looks different because business travel changed as a result of Zoom. That's a kind of material alteration to the future of aviation. Yeah. And it's not that we think that there's anything wrong with the company. So, again, not investment advice. I'm not making a pitch on Boeing or anything like that. What I'm telling you is when we analyzed it, we said, we've done well enough here other opportunity sets are more interesting. So we were willing to take our gains and reposition elsewhere. Okay. okay. So that's an, an example cost. of a money management decision that was made. And then we used these non-emotional processes to assess what the market was doing and then how to react to them. The benefit of having a team. Having a team, but having a system, right? Mm-hmm. Having, the, having some predefined rules so that the emotions aren't, were not wagging the dog. Right. And that, that that was a really big deal for us, because when you say, hey, what makes me not sleep at night? And it's when things show up in the marketplace that you cannot anticipate and that you really don't know how to quantify. COVID looked like it was going to be a two to four week inconvenience. And we are a year and a half into this thing or more. Yeah. It's and been, and it, we're still it's been a while. Now, that's Oregon. Right. When I have traveled out of state, other states have moved on. But Oregon looks odd by comparison. It was hard to come back. It was a cultural I've shock to return. I've been hearing that. Well, so I've spent time in, uh, I was in Tennessee and Texas, uh-huh. and and masks were not a thing. Now it wasn't an acknowledgement of like, oh my gosh, you guys are idiots or anything. It was just people will be responsible for their own health. It was a very different a attitude than here in Oregon, and you know you just cannot win for having this discussion, right? There is no discussion. If somebody's really oh, vehement, know. they're like, you're in, you're infringing on my right to personal safety by not wearing a mask. And I just kind of go, wow, I mean, I don't know where we draw the line here, but I get the, the civil rights argument of my right to punch you extends from the end of my fist to the tip of your nose where it stops, right? I don't have a right to actually strike you. I just have a right to take a swing. <laughs> well, I don't know how that works in this civil rights land, but I know that the attitude in Oregon is very different than the attitude in Texas. As a big population, individually, every person's got their own deal. Right, but But as a whole. I don't know, I don't just, I just don't know where it is. And so if if you take a stance like, well, I'm pro this or pro that, you're going to make half the team mad. You know, and and I'm like, I'm just, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm punt, right? I'd be respectful to the pe- the folks that are concerned that they're in our office. I'm like, you know what? I'll wear the mask because I'm in customer service. So that's mm-hmm. what we do. Okay? And that's what you do is you serve your customer and you do that because you're sensitive to their needs. Yeah. Duh. Right? Uh, but I don't know where that line is of like, hey, you the solo person wearing a mask by yourself in your car, it, I hope you just forgot because you are not doing anything for your safety. <laughs> I know. It cracks me up every time I see that. I'm yeah. like, really? And, and so Interesting. it bugs me where you can't draw the line between making a political statement and a medical statement. That's the part that bugs me. And mm-hmm. Oregon is just a very interesting environment where That we, was a really polite way of saying uh, that. I, 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 well, because 
there are a lot of people that feel really strongly and I really care about them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not interested in picking a fight. No, I'm it's just worthless. done with yeah. the fight. Yeah, it's been you know, way I mean, like, too we, long. We all have our different value systems. What I wonder about is when do we get back to the point that we can have disagreement and it not be labeled as hate or bigotry or racism or something like that? It's like, do we get back to that point? Well, That's where I'm at. I, I like, don't. I hope no. so, though. I think we do. Believe it or not. Yeah. I, I really do. Because I think first we're getting closer to, uh, I'm not saying I agree with this, but closer to regulation of social media. Right? We're, we mm-hmm. keep marching towards that. Second, I think a lot of parents and, and schools and others are starting to realize, look, all of the owners of social media, like they don't want their kids using these tools. That, right? Yes. What does that tell you? Right? That they're addictive in nature that they are designed to captivate somebody's attention that there's a dopamine feedback loop involved and so like there's a lot of interesting studies that are going to come out i think over the years that say you want to limit your screen time because it's a highly addictive thing highly addictive and you know you know because if you're checking your texts while you're driving okay on your device looking away from the road there's as much addiction as anything else because that text you know, it's not disappearing, right? But your need to respond to that is being fueled partially by addiction. So, yeah, okay. I think that as those things become noteworthy and we start to put social pressure on changing it, that the dynamic can change. And I see a lot of these really extreme political positions on either side collapsing under their own weight, right? If you take a really radical position and you alienate everybody in the middle, they're just done with that, right? People are done with racism as a solution to racism the same way that they're done with radical racists, okay? Like, if you're a radical racist bigot, like the real kind, you suck. Yeah. Yeah, and I could say that on the radio all day long. And you know what? The good people of this world on both sides of the aisle and smack dab in the middle and independent, they all agree with me. Mm-hmm. There's no place in the world for jerks and a-holes right? yeah and that's who you are if if that's if you can judge somebody it. With, by looking at them beforehand so yeah i'll preach it i'm not afraid to say that yeah but i'm also not afraid to say if, if, if one person believes in wearing a mask and somebody else doesn't okay you get your reasons it's still america and it doesn't mean that somebody else hates you if they don't wear a mask mm-hmm. or that somebody is uh, you know, some kind of foolish person because they are wearing a mask because they've seen different data and that's their value system. It is totally cool where you stand on that one. Yeah. So, all right. Today is evidently weeds and rants. That is the True Wealth Show today. Heather, if you're listening, like get on there and title the show. Yeah. Weeds and rants. Okay. And and then we got to figure out how do we deliver some value to our listeners? You know how it happens? It's in like the last 10 minutes of the show after our last obscene profit break. Oh, man. All we right. got one more. Hang tough, gang. We're, we're going to make it through this one together. We're stoked like to have it. you. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show, gang. We're off air. We are discussing the, uh, the the news that comes across the tape. And 
I think this is investor relevant. But I think so. Uh, so there's a Hot new company, the uh, Rivian. If you've not heard of them, they're another electric vehicle manufacturer. They were founded in 2009, America-based, and they are going to, uh, looks like an IPO. They're anticipating $78 a share, which gives them a market capitalization of $70 billion as a company. So here's a company that's never built a car, as far as I understand it. Yeah. I mean, they've done prototypes and so forth. It, but put that into perspective but, for listeners with well, Ford and GM. Well, to give you an idea, so first we got to go so back. So a company to, with Tesla, basically no sales, right? So Tesla is the biggest automaker, uh, and they're by market cap at just over a trillion dollars. After dropping twelve percent today, they're one point two eight trillion. Mind blowing, right? Now I've not looked at all of the automakers in the world, sure, because. VW, I think, used to be the biggest. I'm not sure if they are. I'm curious right now. No, we've if sparked David's Volkswagen, interest. Um, where are they? they that can't be right. All right. So anyway, they were giant, of course. So um, $141.5 billion? That doesn't seem right. That looks like a Volkswagen something offshoot. Yeah, but, some type of merger But or if we looked at – it might be accurate, though, because General Maybe. Motors, 85 billion okay ford, ford 80 billion rivian never having put a car on the road as as i understand it maybe some prototypes and yeah. a handful of hand builds but 70 billion that just okay. is insane so here's my concern and keep in mind we cannot predict the future and so this is not again not advice but consider for a moment what we have going on very robust IPO market, mm -hmm. right? We look at like Dutch Brothers that I think IPO'd at 35 and it's trading up near like 65 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was way up there. Okay. And so you look at what's going on as these new companies come to market and money just flies at them. Why do you think that is? Well, I'm sure some of it's because- People want- it's not just the it's not just the private investors. This is institutional investors, and this is when you can use borrowed money and you can leverage things up. Small okay. companies, you can move the market with less money, right? So if you're a super mega giant fund, mm -hmm. you know if you're Berkshire Hathaway and you're sitting on billions in cash, and then you bring a company like Dutch Brothers public for, you know, two billion in assets or mm -hmm. you know, three billion capital raise. You, you can could buy go a buy ten percent of the company. You know, you yeah. can pick up three hundred million as a side project. <laughs> Isn't that just yeah, let that like kind of sink into perspective for yeah, a moment. It's so like, it's crazy the kind of money that's capable of floating around out there. But if you consider the size and scale of the market, right? What what's got me scratching my head is all these IPOs that explode out of the gate with really high valuations mm -hmm. and money just flies at them. There's a lot of leverage in this system, and it's continued to primarily be because of the cost of risk. You just don't get paid to put money anywhere else. Right? If you think yeah. about it, like, great, I'm going to go buy a 10-year treasury. I'm going to make yeah. less than 2% over a 10-year period. Who's going to do that? Lame. Yeah. Right? Lame, lame, lame. So why not go buy a stock that's paying a 2% dividend and could appreciate in value? Right. So that's what people are doing. It may be a mispricing of risk. Now, I'm not going to suggest for a second that we can't have a Santa Claus rally. We talked about that, that. That was a hint at the very, very beginning of today's show. Mm. Right. The Santa Claus rally between now and Christmas time where the markets could continue to go higher. The technical setup is quite interesting. And 
suggest that that may be the case. Again, don't consider that advice. Don't trade on it. Right. But the technical setup is really optimistic right now. And a lot of the companies that are in that marketplace, I mean, they've already started moving yep. in and a big so way. We passed, you know, we the you know Congress and the Senate finally passed an infrastructure bill. Money's still flowing into the economy in different mm -hmm. places. Maybe it's printed and conjured, but a giant economy moves slowly, so that money has to find its way into the system. Inflation in some areas, deflation in others. It's all very complex. But right now, the risk is still risk on in this marketplace. So. And it's possible that, it, you know, the joke is the markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent, right? So they may keep going higher for a while. That is entirely possible, possibly probable, right? You like possibly the way I strung probable. that together? Yeah. Possible, possibly, probable, I don't know, okay? Again, we're not making the odds here. We're just telling you the setups. And I here's my larger concern is when you start hearing people say, it's just the way it is and this time it's different. And you hear that about everything from cryptocurrency to IPOs to, you know, the when you're getting stock tips from your Uber driver and the shoeshine guy, used to be your cab driver, right? <laughs> We've officially reached a point where there's froth in this market. You know, when you start seeing Tesla, a trillion dollar company move by 12% in a day, what can move that much money? that fast. That was a hundred billion dollars of market cap that disappeared in a day. Ooh. So we are in dicey territory right now. Doesn't mean we can't go higher from here. It just means be aware risk is priced funky. Wear your life jackets. So that's it for today. We've had what we call it weeds and rants. Yeah. And a little investment advice on the side. If you want to get more information, give us a call. How do they reach us, Matt? 541-375-0898. There you go. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This has been David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.